Welcome to the Bike Pack Adventures Podcast. I am your host, Chris Panaski. This podcast was created so as to share the stories of bike tours, bike packers, and endurance cyclists from around the world as they embark on amazing adventures. Through their stories, you'll be able to learn the ins and outs of bike travel. You'll get insight into various countries and cultures around the world, hear fantastic stories of their journeys. Through both mine and my guests' experiences, you'll learn about the pros and cons of specific gear, bikes, and bike setups. If you're new to bike travel and considering going on an adventure, I hope the podcast provides you with that extra little bit of motivation to make it happen. I want to thank Panorama Cycles, Redshift Sports, Restrap, Race Day Fuel, and Brockton Cyclery for supporting Bike Pack Adventures and helping to keep me on the bike. Check out the show notes for more information about these amazing companies. Thanks and keep on pedaling. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Bike Pack Adventures podcast. This is your host Chris Panaski, and today I'm going to be talking about the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race. I took part in not so long ago, and I'm just kind of going to go through what um, what my experience was about the route, um, all that fun stuff, and just kind of share with you about a really cool event um, here in the National Capital Region. In Cobden, Ontario, about an hour from Ottawa. So the Wendigo Ultra is a fat bike race event put on by Cameron Dubé. And originally, I'm not sure if it was originally 200 kilometers or if he originally from the start made it with various distances. But there is a 200, 150 kilometer option to this event. Elevation gain throughout is pretty minimal because it's mostly on rail trail. Uh, so there's not a lot of climbing. And uh, it starts and ends at the Whitewater Brewery in Cobden, Ontario. So that is approximately 25 kilometers past Renfrew. <clears throat> yeah, so February 25th at 6.30 a.m. is when the 100 and 200 kilometer events took off. Unfortunately for myself, about a week before the event, I came down with a really bad cold. Um, one, bad enough that I, I had to take a couple days off work too. I would just, you know, really stuffed, like that pressure behind your eyes and your head type thing. A horrible cough. Um, sneezing all the time. You know, typical. Man cold. Um, no doubt my wife would have been just, you know carrying on with life but for me it nearly crippled me and uh i certainly wasn't feeling it at the when it came time to do the the race so on the thursday a couple days before i messaged cameron and said hey i'm gonna have to like change to the 50k i'm just not <clears throat> you know i'm not feeling well i think i'm gonna do a social ride and just get out there and ride with friends and catch up and all that stuff um which very rarely actually works out the way I plan. So I it, I find it really hard to get out for social rides, um, especially when it's a race-type event. So, yeah, needless to say, I raced it. <clears throat> um, but, yeah, when it comes to preparation for that event, um, you know, I didn't have a ton of prep in. I did some riding this uh, this October, November, December, before catching covid most of January was a write-off. I felt when I got on the bike, I had a lot of a really high heart rate, um, profuse sweating, 
like almost hyperventilating, breathing. And I would look down and I would just be at a, you know, instead of being at a, like 75% of my maximum heart rate, I'd be like almost 90%. And I wasn't riding hard. So <clears throat> it took a while to get back to full health where I felt like I can actually put down the right amount of power for what, you know, equates to 75% of maximum heart rate or what was normal training grounds. Um, yeah, so I got better, started feeling well, and then I got a cold. So that really knocked me out for another week. And uh, so then it was race day. <clears throat> Showing up at the uh, start line, I let's talk about gear. There's not a lot of gear for a 50k event that you need to have. You need to have a piece of uh, like a like a foam pad to sit on. I had lent mine out actually to uh, I, I lent mine out to Charlie who came in first place uh, because he's visiting from New Zealand and didn't have much gear. And I lent him one, one Camelback uh, or you know water bladder and this foam pad that I had and then when I downgraded to the 50k I didn't have mine so I had to make one but my, my I had here at my house some uh, some it's like bubble wrap insulation that has aluminum type layer on each side and it's very thin it's like maybe eight millimeters thick or something so I cut two pieces of it and glued it together and duct taped it and made it into like a 16 millimeter thick bubble wrap pad and actually it's awesome. I, I kept it. I'm going to use that for stuff. It's it's perfect size to fit inside a small dry bag as an outer layer, and then you can just stuff stuff in the middle. Um, yeah, cool. So that's what I had to do. I had to make that. I had to have two liters of water in an insulated Camelback. Now, it didn't have to be insulated per se. Uh, I chose to have it insulated. I managed to pick up at Bush Taka on sale the, the Osprey insulation what do you call it, bladder insulator bag and hose and stuff. So, yeah, that worked out really, really well. And <clears throat> um, blinking lights on the front and back of your bike at all times. Obviously a helmet at all times. And you had to have eight square inches of reflective material on you. So I I have a blinking, um, I think it's called a... Oh, I forget what it is. The Tracer 360. That's what it is. I have a Tracer 360 blinking vest that I use for running. And I use it when I do some uh, longer ITT bikepacking stuff because my wife likes me really safe out there, especially at night on lonely gravel roads when you're tired. <clears throat> so I had that on and it was no issue. Um, yeah, they weren't, weren't even concerned about my blinking lights because I lit up like a fucking Christmas tree. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, what else? I think for the 100K and 200K, you had to have various degrees, temperatures, uh, like uh, ratings of sleeping bags. You needed to have extra calories with you to finish. I think basically two energy bars worth if you're doing the 100K, four if you're doing the 200K at the end. So anything else in addition that you would need to bring, you know, that's real emergency food. Where if you have to dig into that, you're going to be considering it like, okay, it doesn't matter if I finish or I DNF or disqualified or whatever because I needed that food because, you know, I could die. Um, oh, another 50k thing you had to have is a, an emergency bivy bag or um, like a emergency blanket type thing. <clears throat> I think it was just, yeah, I don't think it had to be a bivy bag per se. I think it could have been just a blanket. Anyways, um, for the 100k and 200k, you had to have, of course, the blinking lights and whatnot. You had to have your water, your light, um, reflective materials, energy sleeping bags uh and air mattress i believe um 
200K and 100K, you had to have a like a longer, bigger insulated pad or air mattress. So um, other than that, I can't really think of anything else that you had to have with you. Um, yeah, and of course the rules uh, state that it's, you know, they're, they're in the rules. It's about, you know, no drafting and individual time trial type race um, and all that fun stuff. So the ride, um, this particular day was wicked cold. It was, I think, something like minus 30 in the morning uh, with the wind chill. I think it was minus 18 without the wind chill. And yeah, so I messed this up big time and completely overdressed. Um, I'm not the most experienced these days. Um, I, I'm, I thought I was more experienced and knew better, but apparently not. Um, I wore too many layers because I thought it was going to be really cold and you know you kind of forget about how much you heat and your body produces heat when you're working hard so I had on a merino wool shirt and on top of that I had a light down jacket which is a terrible idea by the way don't put a down jacket on under you know over a base layer when you're going to have stuff over top uh, and on top of that, I had a insulated vest because I thought for sure my core was going to freeze. And then on top of that, I had my hard shell. And oh no, sorry. Before the hard shell, I had my um, water bladder, which of course is adding a ton of like moisture trapment trapping right against my back. And then I had the jacket on top. <clears throat> Uh, on my bike, I had some 45 North uh, Cobra Fist, I think they're called uh, Pogies. And I was completely zipped up because my hands are perpetually cold. And I was using some outdoor research three finger gloves uh, with the liner inside. No, I did not have the liner inside. So I just had the, the, the outer of the glove, which is insulated as well. It's very nice and very comfy. Um, I had snacks in a snack bag, but I should have put them in the pogey so that they'd be accessible. And thus, on the first 25K out, I didn't eat a single thing. I drank a bit of water, but not a ton. It's just, it's kind of bulky and hard to access a uh, the hose on a water bladder when it's under your jacket. Um, so I guess I kind of jumped into the race itself. Uh, rolling onto the start line, so what happens is Cameron has his truck and he... He leads us to the rail trail from the brewery as a group, collectively. And then we roll up to the start point on the route, on the rail trail, sorry. And he gives a little secondary speech, and off we went. And I was at the front of the pack, and there I was with uh, with Charlie and Gene. Gene Villeneuve and Charlie Harvey, that is. And we were just pushing it. And I looked back, and we were just like massively outpacing everybody and uh, I felt really good until my body temperature kicked in and I realized how incredibly hot I was um it was about <clears throat> excuse me five minutes or so or five kilometers I don't even remember it was it was it wasn't long um no it's more than five minutes probably 15 minutes or so or somewhere around the 5k mark uh we were averaging like 17 20 kilometers an hour and just hammering it and I started to really like deep breathing, fast, hyper speed breathing, sweating profusely. And, and I, knew, I knew I couldn't keep it up. So I had to just like let off a bit. And they started to, you know, uh, leave me behind pretty quickly after that. 
But when I looked back, I was uh, I was doing really well. I couldn't see anybody forever. And so I just kind of kept plugging away. And, and as I went, my speed was slowing down slightly, but I knew I was still doing pretty well until I looked back uh, probably with maybe six, seven K to go or maybe even just five. And I saw a couple riders, you know, just maybe half a kilometer back. Not, not that far, just a few minutes basically. And so I had to just, you know, start pushing again and keep going. Now, to give you some context, the trail on this occasion was phenomenal. Um, the one nice thing about a really, really cold day is that the rail trail is just firm, man. It's like almost like riding on pavement. Not quite, but like on a gravel road, let's say. Um, Before continuing on with the show, I'd like to thank Panorama Cycles for sponsoring this podcast. Panorama Cycles is a bicycle manufacturer in Quebec, Canada, dedicated to backcountry cyclists that prefer gravel, snow, and off-road trails. They believe cycling is a catalyst for adventures of all sizes, and that there's no need to travel across the world or to be a seasoned athlete to live epic outdoor adventures. Over the past year, I've been riding the Chick Shocks Fat Bike, the Catadan Gravel Bike, and the Taiga Mountain Bike. From everyday rides, bikepacking trips, and a multitude of races and events, these bikes have put a huge smile on my face every step of the way, while also getting me on the podium on the Wendigo Ultra Fat Bike Race, and help me set an FKT on the Canadian Shield 400. In partnering up with the Bike Pack Adventures podcast, Panorama Cycles also wants to give back to the cycling community, particularly you, the listeners of the podcast. By using the promo code BPA10 when purchasing a new bike from PanoramaCycles.com, you'll save 10%. For more information on their environmental commitments or to check out their bikes, head to PanoramaCycles.com. Now back to the show. And even when the skidoos came by, you know, typically a skidoo will really chew up a trail and it makes it just like the soft, slushy type snow. Uh, on this occasion, I mean, it corrugated it a bit more, made it a little rougher, which would slow you down where if you rode where the skidoos tread went, trail uh, track went. But it wasn't that ripped up. It was pretty quick still. It was easy riding. Um, really, really an amazing day to be out on a bike. Uh, you know, personally, I know minus 30 day, I'm very unlikely to get out of the house and go ride. And, you know, it, this was a great experience of how to figure out like, hey, I could be out on those days because it's really, really nice. Um, yeah, so my original plan was to go on a social ride and I had my buddy from Toronto, Jeff, he was there. Uh, Alex, who I drove in with, was riding as well. And you know, my thought was like, oh, this is going to be fun. We're going to chat. We're going to joke and s- not smoke, obviously, but joke around and shoot the shit and, you know, all that stuff. But as soon as the start line, I just turned into race mode, Chris. And um, overall, I felt like I did really, really well. I came third, so I, I guess I did. Um, yeah, reaching the halfway point um, at the local arena, they had a set up inside where you could get some snacks, refreshments, use the washrooms. And I rolled up outside and it just so happened that, oh, I forgot his name. Uh, Cameron's one of his main uh, volunteers. He was manning this checkpoint and he came out and took my name and stuff. And I was like, he's like, do you want, do you want to come in for coffee and stuff? And I was standing there talking and I was just opening up a bag of like score pieces and throwing some gummies into my pogies, like fixing all the things I didn't do before. 
and uprode the third and the fourth and fifth place finishers uh just as I was standing there and I was like nope I gotta go <laughs> I'm not even going inside so uh my mentality was like don't stop now I knew that Gene and Charlie were approximately a kilometer ahead of me at that point and I was like that's only five minutes I'm probably never gonna catch him but um I could try you know so anyways I took off and I'm not sure if the the girls that finished in fourth and fifth overall um they went in and had a break or anything or if they saw me go and they're like nope gotta go I, I have no idea actually I hadn't had a conversation with them um but they uh yeah, uh, I guess it was Emma. Emma Allen was chasing me the entire time from from about a kilometer back. I could see, you know, like way off in the distance, I could see a rider, always. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, the ride back, I felt good. I was drinking a little bit more water, making sure to blow back in the tube. That's a huge, huge tip when it's really cold out because even though the, the camelback's insulated and the water in there is staying quite warm, the tube... The insulation doesn't do it a lot. I mean, probably does a lot compared to if you don't have it. But the insulated tube and mouthpiece, um, if you don't blow back, it starts to freeze. And you got to, like, suck really hard to try to get some water to draw through it. And then all of a sudden, it it's, it opens up. But th the simplicity of blowing back until you feel air going into the bladder, yeah, it's a game changer. So, yeah, on the ride back, I was just eating candy, eating chocolate, and just kept pushing. Um and overall, I, I reached the end, or what I thought was the end. This was one of the big problems with my event, is I heard uh, Cameron say that the, the, the route ends here at the start point. And thus, in my mind, <clears throat> and I knew the GPX was saying it was ending there, because it was like, I was, count I was looking at it going down on the GPS file from like five kilometers to two kilometers to 800 meters to 300 and, you know, then nothing. And so I stopped and I put my bike against the signpost. I took some pictures. I think I recorded a um, a selfie video. And I was thinking about waiting for Emma because I had no idea that the actual race was going on until I hit the Whitewater Brewery. So when I when I uh, when I ended the race, it was eleven twenty-two. Is that right? Uh, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like 11.22 or something. 12.22. 12.22, yeah. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm doing, you know, I, I did great. Um, it's just over three and a half hours. And um, I was going to sit there and wait for the next person, you know. I thought uh, I thought it was over. and But it was cold, so I thought, nah, I'll just ride to the brewery. And then I got a little bit lost and had to take out my phone and look at Google Maps and uh, eventually got back to the brewery and I was like literally well according to the times that uh, Cameron wrote down it was like three minutes difference but it wasn't she was 30 seconds behind me um, I know there was a little hiccup with the numbers um, but I'm pretty sure she was closer than three minutes behind me and he was like yeah man the race is not over you gotta get over here and I was like what are you talking about man I finished at the end no <laughs> it was uh and I was honestly I was pretty messed up I was really dehydrated I had just been pedaling my ass off I, I I didn't even think to realize oh yeah yeah the race probably goes to the brewery 
But anyways, it was a super fun event. I highly recommend it. I really look forward to doing it again next year. Um, tempted to, to have a rack on my bike and bring my dog so she can run beside me or jump in the rack and go for a ride, depending on the conditions. Or, and that would be a 50K, obviously. Or go for like 100 or 200, push it harder, further. I feel like I learned a boatload about heat management. Um, I was one of my big, big problems. My my vest and down jacket weighed like a kilo each. They were so heavy. They were disgusting, man. It was like I could have probably wrung out water from them. Or, well, sweat in that case. Um, yeah. Um, snacking. Definitely have to set up my, my feed system earlier. I don't know why. I usually have maple syrup with me, and I can just take that as like an energy shot, and I didn't even think about it, and I forgot them at home in the fridge. I have a couple like uh, baby pouches full of them. And, of course, drinking is a, is a necessity, so maybe even having a, uh, um, a what do you call those, a soft flask bottle in the front of my... Um, the on the front strap of my uh, camelback so that I could you know take in some like noon electrolytes or something just to 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 recover a bit more of the lost salts so yeah those are some of my big takeaways um oh another big thing I should have done differently is the day before the event I went and bought the 45 north uh wolf hammer uh, fat biking boots with clips. However, I didn't take the time to put in my clipless pedals and put the clips on. I just left them as like flats. And definitely in this situation with the trail being so hard and fast, uh, just that little extra bit would have made a huge difference because Gene and Charlie were both clipped in. Um, it might have made just enough difference that I, I could have fought a little bit harder for a little bit longer. Uh, but definitely without having fixed my, my deficiencies with heat management, there is no way I was ever going to get close to keeping up with them. They were beasts. And uh, yeah, it was pretty amazing. So yeah, those are my takeaways. Don't overdress. Drink more often. Have snacks ready to go and make sure if you have con boots that could be clipless and it's a hard, crunchy surface like that, you do that. Uh, yeah. Um, all in all, amazing event. Uh, from the moment we got there, we were taken care of at the brewery. We had snacks. We had coffee. Um, they One thing that Cameron did that's really cool, I thought, was um, a lot of his prizes, not everything, but a big chunk of the prizes were pre-drawn. So you knew if you were winning a hat, like a bike stud hat or a thief bike packing bags uh, bag, or uh, I don't even know what else there was. There were other prizes, stuff from Montu and stuff. Um, so you knew right away if you were going to have a prize because he knew that with three different categories, it was going to be really hard. Nobody's starting together. Nobody's finishing together. So um, really, really good way to do it and just to kind of solve a lot of problems. And then for the big prize draws, he did those after the fact. So you, you were home and you would have got an email or you'd see on Instagram your tag saying, hey, you won. Uh, that was cool, yeah. So anyways, let's talk through the, uh, I think, the top three or so finishers of each category in the 200-kilometer uh, bracket. We have uh, Henry Doe, who finished in 16 hours, first place overall. 
Jay Millis, 17 hours, 45 minutes, second place. And third place was Louise Filipovich in 23 hours. And she was uh, riding the exact same bike I was riding, a Panorama Six Shocks fat bike. Uh, it's an awesome, awesome machine. And uh, we're both very privileged to have been provided these bikes uh, for this past winter to to enjoy and uh, yeah super fun um, super stoked that she did the 200 when I saw her post I instantly I was jealous and I was thinking like maybe there's a way I could do it but I felt like shit like I wasn't feeling good those few days before only on like the Friday did I start to feel alive again and normal uh, in the 100 kilometer category Matthew Wade came first with in 7 hours 35 minutes we saw him arrive uh, before we left the event he was he was uh, yeah Awesome. Uh, Tanner Utronki in 8 hours, 15 minutes, second place. And third place was Paul Pate in 9 hours, 24 minutes. And, of course, uh, I'll throw in there as well. The fifth overall first female was Jen Pinarski in 13 hours, 40 minutes. So it's really great to see, a, you know, a, a female, another female athlete in the top five. And, and I think that these, you know, I've talked about it before, these ultra-endurance type events is where you start to see gender be less of a, becomes more equal between the genders and yeah so it's amazing and in the 50 kilometer categories i mentioned already charlie and jean charlie finished in three hours 11 minutes that's charlie harvey jean villeneuve three hours 12 minutes and myself in three hours 46 minutes taking third with emma allen uh first female fourth overall in three hours 49 minutes and i didn't write her name down but uh, fifth overall, second female was uh, the next place, and um, of course, then my my buddy uh, Alex Garcia was in sixth. So, really cool. It was a uh, it was uh, it was an amazing day. We hung out after. Uh, I knew a bunch of well, I didn't know a bunch of people. I knew a few people there. We had food. We had some beer. We talked bikes and stuff, and obviously podcasting and all these other things that might come up um, for a while. And uh, it was a super, super rad event. And I uh, can't wait to do it again next year. So that is it. I hope you guys enjoyed my kind of rundown of the Wendigo Fat Biking Ultra. And of course, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out uh, to bike at bikepackadventures.ca. And uh, yeah, I'll try to answer them as best I can or direct you to someone who's better able to. Talk to you soon, and keep on pedaling. Bye-bye. I want to end the show by thanking all my listeners once again for the emails and comments I regularly receive from you. It really helps motivate me and keep me going with this project and to continue sharing people's amazing stories. If you have questions or comments, you can email me at bike at bikepackadventures.ca or go to bikepackadventures.ca and shoot me a message through the contact form. You can also check out the webpage for past podcast episodes, bikepacking routes throughout Canada, blog posts, videos, and touring tips. Lastly, I'd like to once again thank all the individuals and companies that are supporting the podcast. If you are enjoying the show and like what I'm doing, you can become one of my show supporters by going to patreon.com slash bikepackadventures. And for just a few dollars a month, you can help keep this show going. You can also help out by sending a one-time donation through PayPal. This money all goes back into the podcast, help me to cover the costs associated with running the show, buy new equipment when necessary, and produce the high-quality content that you've become accustomed to. Much appreciated, and keep on pedaling.